So our series is short stories, and it's really a series about the parables or the short stories that Jesus told throughout his ministry. And so really the series is a series on the parables of Jesus. The parables are short stories. Have you ever noticed how effective stories are when people tell stories? Stories are so effective in making the point and getting the truth across. You know, stories help to hold your attention. When somebody starts telling a story, man, you're trying to track along, trying to find out where that story's going, right? But short stories, they stir up our emotions. I mean, you know, sometimes stories will get you crying, right? And then stories help you to remember things where you would forget long before. A story helps you to retain truth and not easily forget it. That's why Jesus told stories throughout his ministry. Jesus was the master at using short stories. How many of you know that? In Matthew chapter 13, I encourage you to turn in your Bible there or your phone or your pad or whatever you're using. In Matthew chapter 13, in verse 34, it says that Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. Now, according to Matthew, the only way Jesus communicated about the kingdom of God to the crowds was through parables. And uh, he never spoke, it says, to the crowds without using them. He always used Stories. He always used parables. What is a parable? A parable is simply a simple story with a profound truth. Or another way to say it, it's an easy way to remember it. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. You know, you could tell stories, but it has no heavenly meaning. But a parable, biblically speaking, is an earthly story with a spiritual meaning or a heavenly meaning. And so Jesus built bridges from the natural to the spiritual using parables. He'd say, he'd tell them a story, and then he would help them realize a spiritual truth. He used parables to convey the virtue of love and faith, the need of compassion and mercy, the need for God's love, For the lost, he warned us about the end times. In fact, almost every aspect of his life is covered by the parables. Jesus used parable after parable. And the wonderful blessing is that the parables of the New Testament are just as relevant today as they were whenever he spoke them back then. They're they're not out of fashion. They're not out of style. You know, clothes goes out of style. Hairdos go out of style. The principles of the Bible doesn't go out of style. Amen? And so what was the purpose of Jesus using parables? His disciples were curious to why he used parables so much. And they asked him this in verse 10 of Matthew 13. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to people? And he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. 
And they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. Now, let me just ball that down to you. I think we can answer the question as to why Jesus used parables in this way. Jesus used parables for two reasons. For number one, he used parables to hide truth from those he didn't want to know truth. And then the second truth that you could say about the parables is he used the parables to reveal truth to those whom he wanted to know his truth. So according to Jesus, he used parables to either hide truth or to reveal truth. So I think for all practical purposes, it's safe to say that Jesus used parables to share his family secrets with his children. Amen. Matthew 13, 35, this fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables and I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. Jesus used parables to reveal profound truth so that it, our lives could be changed. He used stories because he wanted to make the point. He used parables so that he could stir us up emotionally, so he could get us emotionally involved. He used stories so the light would come on, so we would get the truth, and so that our lives could be changed. He was a master teacher. Matthew 13, 16 says, But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. You know, listen, the goal of this series is so that we can understand and apply the spiritual truth tucked away in the parables so our lives can be blessed and so our lives can be transformed. Amen. You know, you know, in the business world, if, if a businessman got a chance to sit down like with Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, they want to know all his his business secrets. You know, if you're uh, uh, athletic and, and you're interested in aspiring in, in an athletic uh, field and you get around, a, 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 a you know, an Olympian, Olympic champion or, you know, an NFL player, you want to listen to what they have to say. Listen, Jesus was the champion of life. And so he gives us his he gives us his words of wisdom and he shares them in a way he 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 packages them in a way that it's like, OK. Here it is, guys. This will change your life right here. Amen? So let's begin our study this morning by looking at the parables that deal with the characteristics of the kingdom. And first, we're going to deal with the power of the kingdom, which is the seed. In Matthew 13, 31, here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. Now, here in this parable of the mustard seed, Jesus uses a story, and he uses a seed to describe the power and influence of the kingdom of God. The mustard seed, he says, although it's the smallest seed, and, and, you know, I've brought a mustard seed up here, and you wouldn't be able to see it from where you're at. That's how small it is. 
But he uses that seed to describe the power and the influence of the kingdom. Once it's planted in the ground, it transforms and becomes the largest of all garden plants. And he says that's the power of the kingdom. Now, a tremendous truth of the kingdom uh, needs to be noted from this parable, as well as a wonderful application for you and I. Though the mustard seeds seem so inconsequential in its size, its impact is enormous. Jesus said, although the mustard seed seems inconsequential in its size, once it grows up, birds can come land because it's a tree. It's a smaller seed than the rest, but don't underestimate its power. So here's the point. The kingdom of God, from the world's perspective or view, might see the kingdom of God as very insignificant and inconsequential. You know, CNN, World News Tonight, they they hear anything about the kingdom of God and it's, ah, well, you know, they only want to talk about if a pastor fell into immorality or some person that's supposed to be aspiring to morality is not establishing that. That's the only thing they want to talk about. Except sometimes when the world starts shaking and everything around seems like it's fallen apart, then they'll say, whoa, is this what the Bible's talking about? But in the world's eyes, the kingdom of God is inconsequential. But how many of you know, once the kingdom of God has fully grown, nobody be able to deny the power of the kingdom of God. Amen? Although it seems like just a seed, once it's full grown, it's going to impact the entire world. Think about this. The kingdom of God started with 12 disciples. But now it's grown. And according to Revelation 19, it will be like a tree are a sea of people. Listen to this verse, Revelation 19, 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder are crying out. Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Now John heard a voice, and it sounded like a great multitude. In another place in Revelation, it said the crowd was so great, every tongue, tribe, and nation, you couldn't even count them. You know, somebody may ask, how many people you think are going to be in heaven? Well, nobody really knows, but we do know their voices are going to sound like a sea of people. Like a sea of people. This kingdom of God started with 12 disciples and went down to 11. But when it's fully grown, my friends... There's going to be billions of people in heaven singing. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Amen. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Amen. The kingdom of God will have grown tremendously. So don't underestimate its power. Jesus is saying us to us through this parable. The mustard seed seems so insignificant and inconsequential, but don't be misguided. Its reach and impact is enormous. Now, here's the personal application. Though it may seem insignificant or inconsequential, the potential of your spiritual walk is limitless. Because that same seed that Jesus is describing the kingdom is the same seed. Jesus, how many of you know Jesus is the seed, Right? In Matthew 13, 32, Jesus said, it's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. 
The parable of the mustard seed encourages us to remind us the potential of our salvation. Listen, though it may not seem uh, your Christian journey has made that much of an impact, that much has taken place since you said yes to Jesus, I want you to know it's not fully grown yet. It's not fully grown. The full impact of your salvation is not known yet. Amen? It, though it may seem like um, it, it's, it's not a great deal, hold on. Hold on. Wait till the trumpet sounds. Amen? Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise this small beginning, for the eyes of the Lord rejoice to see the word begin. How many of you know Jesus can take what seems like uh, insignificant and, and, and turn it around and transform somebody's life and turn, turn that moment into a life-changing experience. And, you know, let, let me, let me re- read this verse. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, This is what the Scripture means when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. You know, listen, whenever I was saved, I was shocked at the transformation that took place. You know, I was invited to go to a drama production and I went to be a nice brother. And, you know, they had a salvation call at the end of the service and they did a great job in the drama of of depicting somebody who was under the influence of the adversary and somebody who was influence of God. And I knew I was on the wrong side and I made a decision and I cried and then I wiped up my tears as soon as I could. And then I was ready to go on with my life. And uh, I thought I was just going to go back to my normal, aimless, spiritually lost and blind state. But I was amazed. I didn't fully realize the power of the kingdom of God. The power of salvation. Because all of a sudden, now my eyes were open and I'm seeing things totally different. And, and all of a sudden, my, my desires begin to change. Things that I would live my life for, they all of a sudden are not as great of a desire anymore. And things that I had no desire for, now those desires are growing more and more. Come on, how many of you can relate to what I'm talking about? My lifestyle began to change. My passion and my purpose for life changed. And all I did was go up to the altar and say, Jesus, I need you. Would you forgive me? And my plans were to not change a thing about my life, to go right back to the way that I was living my life. But Jesus messed me all up. Come on, how many of you can relate to that? Jesus will mess you up, man. I'm telling you, when his kingdom comes into your heart, it might seem like a mustard seed, but let that kingdom grow in your heart. It'll change your life forever and ever in a positive way. Amen. And listen, God can take the most unlikely person and turn them into a sovereign vessel that he can use. Amen? The power of the mustard seed reminds us that nothing is impossible with God. Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. The kingdom of God is powerful. And you know, right now, as we are meeting right here across the world, the gospel is being preached. And literally thousands and thousands of people are moving across the aisle. Not from Democrat to Republican, Republican to Democrat, but from lost to being saved. 
from the kingdom of darkness to the guard to the kingdom of light. The kingdom of God is growing. It's become its branches are reaching out one day, saints. One day, we're going to be standing with that, that vast multitude like peals of thunder. We're going to say, hallelujah, for the Lord our God reigns. Amen. But meanwhile, while we're living on this earth, the kingdom of God is in you. And there's no telling what the kingdom of God is going to do in your life. Be encouraged today. The kingdom of God is powerful. Amen. The second characteristic of the kingdom that Jesus taught us through his parables is the value of the kingdom. And he used, um, we're going to look at two parables here. They're very short, but the treasure and the, the pearl of great price. In verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on a lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. Now, biblical history tells us that there were no banks at the time and that it was very common for people to hide their treasure like in a can in the backyard. They would hide it. They would bury it. And sometimes uh, they would die and the family didn't know where their treasure was. So it wasn't uncommon for somebody to dig up some treasure. And uh, in that day, you could keep the treasure because there's no way to you know, decide who it is, uh, who it's for. So Jesus uses this parable to paint this picture. This guy's digging. He finds this treasure. And so he goes and sells everything to buy the field so he can have the treasure. The second parable Jesus uses is a merchant, which was a trained business professional that knew what he was looking for, and he could easily identify the pearl of great price or the pearl of great value whenever he'd see it. And so uh, the second parable... Uh, talks to us about, and, and, and the first parable, both of them make an incredible point that both of them, the, the, the man that found the treasure and the man that was the businessman looking for the pearl, both men were willing to go to extreme measures to secure the value that they found. They were both willing to sacrifice anything and everything to secure their findings. That's a powerful point. See, in other words, the lesson we learn from this parable is the kingdom of God has endless value to anyone and everyone who discovers it. It's valuable. We kind of just talked about it a while ago. But verse 44 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered in a field. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Not only is it powerful and it grows and grows and grows, but it's a treasure. Now, obviously, the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price represented the tremendous value of the kingdom of God. How many of you know the kingdom of God is valuable? It's valuable. And so Jesus used these parables to help us understand, listen, what we have as born-again believers. It's valuable. It's a precious treasure, amen? You know, I'm warning if we fully realize the treasure that we have as being a Christian in the kingdom of God. You know, I'm warning if we really know that. In Ephesians 3, 8, it says, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about, listen to this, 
the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Listen, when you enter the kingdom of God through Christ, there is endless treasures made available to you. Not a little bit, endless. You know what endless means? You know what the Greek and the Hebrew endless means? It means endless. (laughs) Write that down. (laughs) You need to remember that one. It means it doesn't come to an end, amen? I mean, it's endless. Endless treasures such as peace, wisdom, healing, grace, mercy, deliverance from trouble, reconciliation in relationships, restoration of life, physical and mental and spiritual strength, divine provision, supernatural blessing, endless joy, and the hope of eternal life. That's just to begin with. It's endless. Amen. Come on. How many, just some of those like, Oh, I will, I could use some of that. I could use some of that treasure right now. So according to Paul, the benefits of the kingdom are endless. You know, I, I, I can't think of a better way to describe it. You've probably heard me tell this story, but it's worth telling again. This homeless man went into like a shop, right? And they were having like a kind of like a raffle and uh, you'd sign up and they were giving away a Caribbean cruise. You heard that story? And so this guy, uh, this homeless guy walked in there, filled out the thing and no, no kidding. He won the Caribbean cruise. And so he's like, man, I'm homeless. And I get to go on a Caribbean cruise. It's like, man, that's great. But like, I don't have any money. So he, he just scraped up a few pennies. And on his way to the port to get on the ship, he bought him a little bit of cheese and crackers, put it in a bag. And he walked on the ship. The captain greeted him. Welcome to the Caribbean cruise. We're going to show you to your cabin. Showed him to his cabin. There it was. Walked in his cabin, put his cheese and crackers down. Walked out, looked around. This, this thing was incredible. They had swimming pools on this thing, man. They had, they, they had entertainment. They had slides. They had, man, these, you know, this incredible view. This guy was going berserk. He like, man, this is incredible. So, you know, he'd get hungry, go in his, in his room. He'd eat a little bit of cheese and crackers. He'd go walk around some more. And after a couple, two, three days, he ran into the captain. The captain said, Hey, I haven't seen you around the ship much. I haven't seen you in the dining hall. I haven't seen you in any of the entertainment that's provided here. And he's like, oh, oh, you don't understand. I didn't get a ticket for all that. I just got a ticket for the cruise. And the captain grabbed his head and he said, sir, you didn't realize that whenever you got that ticket for the cruise, that everything on the ship was yours. And, and then he grabbed his head. Oh, my goodness. I've been eating cheese and crackers, and they're serving up prime rib in there. Oh, my goodness. I've been living way below what has been provided for me. That's a picture, I believe, of many Christians. Come on, we got the ticket to go to heaven, saints. But come on, it's a lot more than a ticket to get to heaven. Jesus set up the table for us. It's a banquet table, man. Come on. Come on, we the kingdom of God is endless. And it's treasures. Amen? Are y'all with me out there? The second lesson we need to learn from this parable is this. We must be willing to sacrifice and forfeit everything to obtain it. We got to be willing to give it all. Although the riches and treasures of the kingdom of God 
are endless and they're available to all of us, everyone gets to experience them. But not everyone does. Not everyone does. Did you notice that both men were willing to sell everything they had to secure the value they found? The the man that found the treasure, he sold everything so he could buy the field. The other guy did the same thing. He sold everything that he could buy that pearl. You see, there's there's a point here. This speaks of sacrifice. In Mark 8.34, Jesus said, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. What Jesus was saying is you must be willing to sacrifice anything and everything for this one thing, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. See, everybody wants the riches of the kingdom, but not as many people are willing to sacrifice for the kingdom. Many of us are living beneath the privileges of the kingdom of God simply because we're not willing to sacrifice anything and everything for the riches of the kingdom of God. Can I ask you a question? What's holding you back from the endless riches of Christ? What's holding, what's keeping you from the endless riches? Is it a relationship? Is it selfishness, self-centeredness, a stubborn will that refuses to surrender? Greed, love for money, an offense that you're not willing to let go of? Any of these things can be the thing that keeps us from the endless riches that are in Christ. Jesus said, If you want to be my follower, you need to take up your cross. You got to be willing to die. You got to be willing to sacrifice. Remember what he told the rich young ruler? Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Now did Jesus need this rich man's money. Did he, was, was Jesus broke? Was God broke and he needed this guy to finance the kingdom? No, he didn't ask him to give up his money because he needed it. He asked him to give up his money because it was blocking him from the true riches of the kingdom of God. That's why he was trying to get it out of his hand. And you see, for every one of us in this room, I think there's something that will block us and keep us from further riches in Christ. I don't know what it is, but we need to figure it out. Because if we figure it out, it's kind of like, you know, you found out whenever your, your dad died, your grandpa died, he left you an inheritance. That's great. But imagine after you started spending that, you found out there was another inheritance and another bank account. <laughs> Man, you'd be jumping up, hitting your heels together, huh? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pop. I think as Christians, you know, we, we, we got saved and we're like, praise the Lord, man. But come on, there's more bank accounts. There's more blessings. There's more provisions. Amen. Like we were talking about earlier. Some of us, we're children of God. We're blood washed. We're spirit filled. We know Jesus, man, but we're living in oppression. But we're living discouraged. Come on, there's more treasures, man. Come on, let's press in a little harder. Come on, are y'all with me out there? 
Come on, are y'all hearing me out there? Come on, there's more, amen. There's more to the ticket, amen. Amen. So the lessons of the two parables, the kingdom of God has endless value to anyone who discovers it, but you must be willing to sacrifice to get it, amen. And finally, the last third characteristic of the kingdom Jesus taught is the genuineness of the kingdom, which he he made the point by using the net. Matthew 13, 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown in the water, caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up on the shore, sat down and sorted the good fish into crates. But he threw the bad ones away. Now, for the sake of clarity, let me explain. In biblical times, they, they would put a net between two boats. They would go out into the water. They'd spread the net out and they'd head towards the shore. By the time they got to the shore, they'd bank the boats, they'd grab the net and pull the nets on the shore. In that net, they had some, some fish and probably some tatais and all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, they had the catch and they brought it on the shore. And then they would sit down and they would sort it out. They would sort out their catch. Some of you have been trolling. Some of you have been saning. You, you get the picture. You know what is, I mean, not everything in that net is what you want to bring home, Right? Some of it you want to put in that water right away. So they sorted it out. And so, um, so in biblical times, uh, they, they did this on a regular occasion. So Jesus uses this story that all of the people around were very familiar with. And so he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net. Like a fishing net? Yeah, like a fishing net. They caught fish, they brought them on the shore, they sat down, they sorted them out, they threw the bad fish away, and they kept the good fish. Oh, wow. Verse 49. That is the way we'll be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand all these things? Yes, they said, we do. So they got what he was saying. So now, let me quickly summarize the parable. The net represents the presentation of the gospel and the effects of the gospel being preached. The fishermen are the soul winners. They're the ones that throw out the net and they attempt to preach the gospel and get the lost saved. The fish are the souls that have been affected by the presentation and the preaching of the gospel. The sorting represents the end of the world when everyone has to face their the judgment seat. And then the angels are the ones that are given the privilege to decide which fish to keep and which ones to throw back. So now Jesus used this whole parable to prepare us for God's final judgment, for the life after this one, right? And so in Matthew 13, 49, he says, this is the way we'll be at the end of the world. The angels will come. And separate the wicked from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace when there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, the main lesson of this parable is one of genuineness and sincerity. Not everything that glitters is gold, right? Don't eat shoe pick, right? It may look like just like a bass, but don't eat that one, Right? Not everyone that is talking the talk is walking the walk. They all look like fish, but some are good and some are bad. 
Some that look like they're good fish are really not. That's what he's saying, right? So the gospel has been preached across the world and, and millions of people have been affected by the preaching of the gospel. But not everyone that has been affected is really genuine and sincere in their response to the gospel. The heart of this parable is a matter of heart. Where's your heart? According to Jesus, those whose hearts are not genuine and sincerely right with God will be thrown in with the wicked into the fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, that sounds terrible. Doesn't that sound terrible to you? And so with those who are genuine and sincere, they're sincerely right with God, they'll be spared that punishment. So Jesus used this fishing story to say, hey, be careful how you live your life and be careful how you respond to the gospel because your eternity is at stake. The most important question today that we can ask is, am I genuinely and sincerely right with God? Right? Don't y'all agree? That's the most... Isn't it true that, you know, like... You can be, you could smile at somebody and they say, how you, you know, is everything all right? And you say, yeah. And you lie. Isn't that true? Come on, y'all, y'all, y'all follow that, right? Don't you think it's true to come to church and act like a Christian and you're really not? You lie. Right? And so Jesus' whole attempt here is saying, okay, let me try to help you figure it out here. Are you sitting here? Lying to yourself, living like a lost person that has no passion or hunger for God, and you're among the fish. And and nobody can tell that you're not a genuine fish. He's saying, come on, you be the judge. Is your heart right or not? Man, wouldn't it be terrible to put our eternity at stake? I mean, to gamble our eternity? And so Jesus is trying to help us. Look, whenever you die and you, and you meet the judge, that's not the time to get it right. It's too late. It's too late. You can't say, Daddy, Mama, pray. It's too late. You're going to have that screen and your life is going to flash. Start to finish. And then you're going to have to give an account. So Jesus is saying, make sure your heart's right. The good news is, If you're not sure your heart is right, if your heart is not genuine and sincere, it can be. Amen. The most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16. And I want to read the next one. For God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. You don't have to be gnashing your teeth. But have eternal life. That's the fish that was thrown in the container, the basket. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. So Jesus suffered the crucifixion. He died on the cross so our hearts could be made right. Jesus died so our sins could be forgiven. That was the whole point of the gospel is that we don't have to, we don't have to be We don't have to be a shoe pick. Amen. 
Come on, y'all Cajuns over here, y'all understand that, right? You can be a succulé, amen. You know what I mean? The kind that are good eating, amen. He said they had good fish and they had bad fish. And they were all together and they all came in together. They all were presented. They all got touched by the net. They all got touched by the fishermen. They all had the same opportunity and experience. But not all of them were affected in the same way. Wow. Isn't this powerful? The stories Jesus told. Would you stand with me? Let's close. Some powerful truths about the kingdom of God. The power of the kingdom. The seed reminds us that there's no limitation. Amen. Listen, the world is shouting stuff and trying to lure us and tempt us and all that. But saints, let's keep our focus right. The kingdom of God is growing like a tree. Branches springing out everywhere. There's going to be a multitude in heaven singing hallelujah for the Lord God reigns. I want to be in that mix, don't you? But listen, that seed of the kingdom of God, I don't know what God wants to do in your life, but I know this, that God wants you to have an abundant life. Jesus died so we can have an abundant life. There's no limit to the power of the gospel. There's no limit to the power of the seed that's in your life. Are y'all hearing me out there? It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've been through, where you were last week, where you were last night. It does not matter. If you get the kingdom of God flowing in your life, there's no telling where you could go, man. I mean, he could take a shepherd boy out in the field and making him a king. Amen. He could tell, he could take somebody that was a Christian hater and crucifying Christians everywhere and take that man and make him one of his greatest vessels in all the world. He can use them. He can use us. There's no telling what God can and will do in our life. It's the seed that's in our life. Amen. But you know, there's, there's tremendous riches that are, you know, come on, we got to take it, but let's not eat cheese and crackers, man. Come on, let's go get the prime rib. Come on, let's get everything that Jesus paid such a high price for. Let's not sit in our cabin and eat cheese and crackers while we can be enjoying this abundant life that Jesus paid a high price. Come on, the riches in God are endless. Are y'all hearing me? Are you hearing me? Come on. Are you hearing me? Come on. Say yes if you do. Are you hearing me? Uh, You need to say it. Are you hearing me? God has riches. I think some of us, we need to get it into our noggin. Come on. We we know it by principle, but we're just not receiving it in our spirit. But I want you to know the banquet table has been set. Come on, don't eat the crumbs under the table. Get in the chair, man. Pull up your plate with Jesus and let the Lord minister to you. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And then finally, the kingdom is genuine. It's genuine. Would you just bow your head with me for just a moment? You know, the job of the Holy Spirit is to help us know where we are. The angels are the one that sorted out. I believe right now it's the Spirit of God that's here. It's the Spirit of God that is working like the angels that are sorting. And the Spirit of God is saying, make it genuine. Be sincere. 
If you're here today and you say, Todd, you know, I've flirted around with church and I've flirted around with God, but man, I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. I'm not sure that whenever I get sorted out that I'm going to end up in the right basket, but I want to make sure that my life is right. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just lift your hand so I could see it? And I want to pray a special prayer for you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be bashful. Come on. There you go, man. There you go, sir. This is your day. This is your opportunity. Come on. Jesus is here. Right over here. I see your hand. Come on. Now look up here. Those of you that are raising your hand, look up here, man. This is a great time. This is Jesus right here. Right over here, man. This is Jesus. Come on. The Lord is wanting to change your life. He's wanting to change your eternity. Oh, yes. Come on. He's saying, listen, I'm sorting you out. I'm bringing you in. Come on. He's ready to put you into his basket. Now, listen, I'm wondering, those of you that have your hands raised, are you sincere? Are you genuine? You ready to serve the Lord? Are you just, you just kind of raising your hand? Cause it sounds like, listen, if you're sincere and you're genuine, listen, y'all don't have four to go, but would you just do me a favor and just come up here? Just come right up here and just before all these people and say, I'm choosing Jesus today. Oh, come on. So slip right out and say, I'm coming. I'm choosing Jesus today. There you go. See, if you can't do that in church, then, then really it's not sincere. It's not genuine. Come on. Come on, there you go. We'll wait for you. Come on. Come on. We'll wait for you. Come on. This is a great day. This is a great day for you, ma'am. This is a great day for you, ma'am. Come on. This is a great day. This is a great day. This is a great day. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. You came here. Come on. Come right over here, ma'am. You came here today for this. Now, won't you just bow your head with me? Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He died for you. Come on. We'll wait for you. Come on. This is your day. This is your opportunity. This is your... Come on. Come on. Maybe this is a rededication, a recommitment. Come on. Just say, Lord Jesus, I love you. Just tell him, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Come on. Open up your heart. Jesus is here. Come on. Open up your heart. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, would you forgive me? Jesus, I'm ready to serve you. Jesus, I want to serve you. Jesus, help me. I want your riches. I want the kingdom. Help me today. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my life. Would you cleanse my heart? Would you forgive my sins? Tell him, ask him, would you forgive my sins? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for cleansing my heart. Coming into my life making my heart right with you. I trust you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Listen. Have you ever been to a good restaurant and you put your name on the things down on the table and after about 15 minutes you go back and say, did y'all put my name on that list? I want to make sure I get a table. There's a book in heaven and he writes the names of those that surrender to him and he's got a spot for you at his table. Amen. And it's at the banquet table, the great marriage supper of the lamb. Y'all going to be there because of your faith and trust in Jesus. Amen. 
Oh, I love to see teary-eyed salvations. Oh, God's love is good. Amen. God's grace is good. So listen, if you just stay here for just a moment, we want to make sure to give you some, some material to help you get started. And, uh, and we want to pray for you that uh, God would give you his grace to start this journey. Amen. Amen. Isn't that great? Come on, let's pray a closing prayer and we'll release you. Oh, come on. It was a few fish sorted out today. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for your wisdom. God, we pray help us, teach us. God, help us, Lord, to live not in the cabin with cheese and crackers, but help us to live at the table, at the table with you, Lord. We love you. We bless you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. The blessing of the Lord be over you.